Should Have Listened to My Mother is a podcast where we share conversations about the sometimes complicated relationships, mother-daughter relationships, mother-son relationships. And my guest is an expert on mother-daughter relationships, something that she pursued because of the tense relationship between she and her mother. She completed her master's in 1997 in counseling. She's a therapist, author, mother, and founder of Mother Daughter Coaching International, which is a training organization. Rushka Hasseldine, welcome to Should Have Listened to My Mother. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for um, inviting me. I, I'm, I was so excited when you emailed me and I and I'm and really looking forward to our conversation. Oh, I know. We have so much to talk about. So first of all, Rushka, because yeah. I was not familiar with the name. I want to spell it for my listeners. Rushka is spelled R-O-S as in Sam, J-K-E, right? Rushka Hasseldine is my guest's last name. And I have a, a motherdaughtercoach.com website if you'd like more information to get in touch with her because I have a feeling we're going to learn a lot about mother-daughter relationships today. So motherdaughtercoach.com is a website you can get in touch with her. So the first thing that caught my eyes when you responded to my email, Rushka, was that you said you loved the title of my podcast, that it was positive. I don't know if everybody yes. sees it that way. Why did you see it that way? Well, actually, that was the first thing that jumped out at me. I love it. I should have. I mean, you know, I should have listened to my mother because there is so much mother blaming out there in in society that, and it's always, oh, I don't want to be like my mother, or I shouldn't, you know, that that sort of trying to not be like mum. And in a way, I personally, my journey with my mother, I understand. I understand it because I tried to not walk in my mother's shoes because I didn't, you know, that would not have been the right shoes for me to walk in. I, I definitely want to talk to you more about your mom and, and your relationship, but is yeah. it more more often, you said, the negative aspect of a mother-daughter relationship or the, the negative aspect of the mother and what the mother did, my mother did to me, or I don't want to be like my mother. Yes. Why is it like yes, that? I don't. <laughs> Why is that when, moms get a bad rap? Well, partly because I think society, women are blamed a lot for what, how they're, how they're treated. So instead of, because I think to answer that question, I really need to sort of step back a bit and say in terms of to understand the mother-daughter relationship, you really need to understand how women are treated in society and that we're actually mothers and daughters are set up for conflict. And that the mother-daughter relationship, what happens between a mother-daughter relationship is a mirror reflection of how women are, are in a sense, silenced, their needs are not met, they're not emotionally supported, um, the generation, you know, in terms of their dreams are not encouraged or they're not given the support they need to follow their dreams, particularly a mother's and grandmother's generation. So looking at it generationally and looking at how women, the roles that women are supposed to fit into, one of them, you know, I call the cultural female service, where women are supposed to be, or particularly mothers, are supposed to be selfless and sacrificing and all available, i.e. not a person in her own right. And I think the mother blaming, and I, you know, I do want to say Paula Kaplan writes an absolutely amazing book about that called Don't Blame 
the new Don't Blame Mother. Um, so if people are interested in reading more about that, I would, you know, go to her book. But it's about, in a sense, it's about, in a sense, blaming the victim, blaming mothers rather than actually looking at, well, what is, this, what is the environment or what is the society and what's the family environment that mothers are trying to mother in? And so in a sense, daughters are set up also to blame mom rather than look at, well, mom actually did the best she could with the resources she had at the time. Is it still the same today because women are working more now? You know, not everybody is um, a homemaker. Not that my mom was a homemaker and I have utmost respect for homemakers. But is is it getting any better, this mother-daughter conflict that is so widely known? No, I don't. I actually think it, yes, in terms of the, you know, gender roles, changes, I don't think it's actually made, it's actually made it worse in a sense. I think particularly at the moment where I see a lot of daughters in their 20s and 30s and 40s who, and, and so it's not so much about whether mum works or whether she's, a, you know, working at home because homemakers do a lot of work. Um, it's more about women not being taught or being entitled to say, I need, I feel, I think, I desire. And that silencing of women, that, that is the, the, the ground at which, or the river at which, you know, that's flowing beneath the mother-daughter relationship, or the ground in which we stand on. And that causes a huge amount of conflict. So I see a lot of 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds of daughters who really want mum come in and change that generate because it's a generational pattern um, so it's not so much whether mum you know what whether mum is working or whether mum's staying you know and working at home and looking after kids full time it's more about who are we as as women and do we feel entitled or do we even know what we need because when a mother doesn't say what she needs it la- that land that conversation lands on the daughter so it's the daughter then that's then supposed to meet mum's unvoiced needs and that causes an enormous amount of conflict. So I do there's a lot of excitement I think, you know, a lot that we can be hopeful for because I think there's a lot of waking up going on with women, which I think is it's brilliant. The younger generation then has to then bear the responsibility of the role that the other two generations played or didn't play. The weight is on the shoulder of the younger kids now. Yes, I think it's more if you look at in terms of the relationship, in terms of say, like my my if I talk, talk about my and what happened in my my generational family with my grandmother and my mother and, my, and myself, which isn't, you know, it may be a slightly more extreme, but it's it, it's it's incredibly common and it's global. Um, when I started working internationally, you know, when years ago, when Skype came into existence, I started working internationally, and I started to realize that this dynamic of, say, my grandmother was never taught to know that she had any needs of her own. She was, in, she was, she was an emotionally mute person for various reasons, her experiences, but also because that's what women were expected to be. They were supposed to completely think of the other and not have any needs of their own. And so that landed on my mother. My mother then had to 
listen for or to guess what my grandmother needed and was placed in a position to then take care of, you know, emotionally. It's the emotional helpmate, emotionally support her mum for most of her life. And then as my mother's eldest daughter, that then landed on me because my mother too, in her generation, and because she was so focused on her mother, didn't learn, you know, it's like a missing language. In my grandmother's generation, my mother's generation, and it's still missing today. And I think that's where I think women are waking up and realizing that what we feel, what we need, what we think, that's key to actually building strong, emotionally connected mother-daughter relationships. So as a mom, I don't have, I have two sons, I don't have a daughter. So if I were to open up, is it opening up to the whole family? Is it setting boundaries for what my role is? I, I have, I, I go to yoga class in the morning and then I'm, I'm doing this at this and then I'm on my conference call. Or is it, is it specifically only with your daughter that the mother expresses her needs and desires, or does she have to express it and put boundaries up on the whole family so everyone understands when she has her own personal time and what her agenda is? It's with everybody. Yeah, it's, it's within family. the entire family. Yeah. Um, it's with everybody because, in a sense, the daughter is also, if, particularly if the daughter is younger, she's watching how um, and learning from her mom what it means to be female in relationship. Are we allowed to be our own person, set our own boundaries, prioritize our time, ask for what we need, or do we have to keep quiet, think of put everybody else first, and, you know, fit our lives around our families or, or you know, or our friends, and, and remain silent? Um, so yeah, it's 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 so that it's it the therefore the mother daughter relationship is incredibly powerful because it gets to the heart of who we are as women and how what can we expect in our relationships? Uh, how can we voice who we are and are we heard? It's all you know. It's all those fundamental questions, which is actually about being visible, being equal in a sense, because we cannot be the equal gender if we're not heard. And we're not, no one's inquiring after who, you know, what we think, what we feel, and what we might need emotionally. So um, so that sort of, in a sense, gives a picture into why that mother-daughter conflict is not a separate thing. It is entirely as a result of and infused with who we are as women and and, and whether we feel or know how to voice what we feel things need and want. Is there a role that the husband or father needs to play when he is trying to help this relationship between mothers and daughters? Oh, absolutely. Fathers, in fact, I, was, I, I wrote a blog just recently about that. Fathers have a huge role to play um, because how he treats the daughter's mother or his, his partner or wife or the, or, or the, and his daughter's mother is 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 a, is critical because how if he listens to his to the daughter's mother say his wife or partner then in a sense the daughter's learning that men listen to women and also that if the mum can get support from the, from her husband or partner 
in a sense, she doesn't need the... She doesn't, in a sense, it doesn't again land on the daughter. And also, um, the blog I wrote about is, um, you know, Daddy's Girl, in, in a sense that if the daughter... If the, if the father invests a, puts a lot of emotional attention and affection on the daughter, which is great, but to the exclusion of the, mar- of his, the wife or his partner... So that the daughter gets way more than his partner than his partner does, that sets up the mother-daughter relationship for conflict, because then the mother can be so jealous, and and in a sense that would be human of the daughter because she's getting what in a sense essentially she should also be getting. Um, oh my gosh, it's so, so complicated. <laughs> it is. It is. It it's, is complicated. Wow, we. <laughs> But I think if you if you think about it in terms of women voicing their needs and you look at it from that perspective, it actually makes it easier to think. In it terms becomes of, very to simple. Sort of understand. Yes, it does. You know, are we silenced or are we or, or do we speak? Are we emotionally supported or are we emotionally neglected? So, if a mum's emotionally neglected by her partner or her husband, that that will impact the, the her relationship with her daughter. With the Me Too movement and the racial injustice, the protests and the activists coming out and finally screaming about what they want, not only uh, the racial issue, but in general, younger people feeling more empowered and being able to have their voice heard. Is that changing anything in your mind? Is there a correlation? Well, I think that's why... um I'm very busy, actually. I think that's why, because to answer that question, if I, if I look back, so I started, what, yeah, 1997, was it, when I graduated? So, um, and I started specializing mothers and daughters right then, and I didn't know anybody who was actually specialized in mothers and daughters. Um, not, and I was living in England at the time. There's no one in England. There was no one that I knew anywhere in the world so but I was determined to make this work so in a sense I had to educate mothers and daughters that actually therapy was something their relationship was worth going to therapy for because couples were seen as you know sort of more for sexual couples rather than or family therapy but mother-daughter was really missing it's missing from the training but also missing in terms of that this relationship is worth going for therapy for and but I can see such a change over the years. In the last, so initially, mothers and daughters would come individually. But about, I would say, 10, 12 years ago, something shifted, and they would come and they started coming as couples. And now, particularly with Me Too movement, is an even an increase to say yes. They're recognizing the, that uh, the generational patterns in terms of particularly emotional silence and the selflessness, self-effacing behavior that society, that patriarchy in particular, expects from women, and particularly from mothers, they're seeing that this, the damage that this does, not just to women's emotional well-being and our, and our equality, but also to the mother-daughter relationship, and how women and women's voices and equality in all their relationships. So I think, yeah, it's, it's making, it's waking women up to how the mother-daughter relationship is and putting it back central in women's lives 
rather than in the margins, which is where, in a sense, it's been placed, particularly by patriarchal thinking. Um, Adrian Rich, of Woman Born, writes about that in her book about how the mother-daughter relationship has been deliberately marginalized because it's so powerful, because it's got so much power to challenge gender inequality for women. Do the daughters call up and, and take the first step in arranging for therapy, or is it primarily the mom? Um, I, I, the, 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 I would say more daughters. Wow, it's that's always, great. It's not always the case, but I would say the, the, the larger, I'd say more than, say, 60%, 60, 70, 60, nearly 70%. This is just off the top of my head. I would say it's mainly, again, so there's daughters in their 20s, 30s, and 40s that are saying, uh, we need to change this. Enough yeah. is enough. Yeah. They're saying it ends here. Great. And, um, this is exciting. Which is, it is, it is <laughs> really, really, really. We're at, we're at a, a very, you know, Life is really difficult at the moment, but it is, I, I think there's also a lot of excitement about potential, particularly for women. Wow, this is pretty exciting. Unless you make that conscious effort to just make a change, you're going to continue this for more and more generations. Yeah, another reason I really felt your, your, the title of your podcast is so exciting because it's not just listening to the advice mum had that, you know, you, you probably rejected as a teenager and then you find out that actually mum was right all along or the wisdom that mum and perhaps also grandma has, but it's also, um, as I was, you know, the mother-daughter puzzle, the, one of my books, I have fairly detailed instructions on how to map your mother-daughter history. So it's also understanding the reality that your mother lived in. And what she, happened in your mother's life. And she did the best that she could with what she had, for the most part. Exactly. Exactly. And understanding, in a sense, maybe also the emotional silencing that she experienced, that she never learnt to really see herself as a person in her own right with, with a voice and needs of her own and, and then also understanding what you've inherited from mum and then changing some of the, you know, absolutely celebrating the great stuff but then changing the disempowering messages that you've inherited. So to be more compassionate of your mom or your grandmother and more understanding? I, I agree. I agree. In the training that I do, so I, I do a lot of training other, you know, therapists and coaches who want to work with mothers and daughters. I call it seeing mum with soft eyes. So it is about, yeah, understanding mum for, the, for, the, for what her life has been like and the choices she's had to make and the choices she couldn't make and the lack of support she's had and, see, and seeing it as yeah, see, looking at her with softer eyes rather than always, again, like we were talking about right at the start, blaming her for what she never got to give you and blaming her for this and that and the other. On the, on the, on the other hand, you know, if you didn't get something, that is real. So the, the, the two realities can stand right next to each other. 
you know, you perhaps didn't get something from mum that you needed, but she also couldn't give it to you because nobody gave it to her. So it's not about silencing what we didn't get, what we needed, but it's also understanding that no one gave it to mum either. So you can't give what you can't, what you were never given in the first place. What about having your mom on a pedestal? Yes, and the pedestals are hard things, actually. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I personally don't like to be put on a pedestal myself. <laughs> We're because only you can human. always be knocked. <laughs> yeah, we can knock people. You know, if you're on a pedestal, you'll be knocked off the pedestal as well, <laughs> you know, um, because we are human. You know, we are human to see that the failings or the, the struggles, that may be a better way of looking at it, you know, the struggles that we've all had, I think. But I think, I mean, a pedestal for me is more seeing, having, you know, seeing that mum did the best she could with the resource she had and also the resilience that women have. I mean, women are incredibly resilient. We know how to survive. And I think, to me, if you, if I'm thinking of pedestal, that would be it. You know, really honouring our mother's resilience. I think women really know how to survive. And they make the best yeah, of what they're given. And they get a lot of yeah. crap for it <laughs> if it doesn't work out. And we out. do. It was never good. And, you know, and that's where they're coming back to the mother's life. It's never good mm. enough. Da, 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 da. Well, witness says, well, actually... Because I think, um, you know, my, my mother and my grandmother went through Second World War and the concentration camp and all that. And, and if I think about the resilience, and particularly today with this COVID um, outbreak, I keep thinking back to my grandmother and I hate, how did she survive? And, and, and actually honouring their incredible strengths in terms of surviving very, very difficult times. So, um, yeah, we need to do more of that. Rushka Hasseldine is my guest. She is the author of two books, The Silent Female Scream and The Mother-Daughter Puzzle. If you would like more information, her website is motherdaughtercoach.com. Rushka has an interesting story to share with us about her mother and grandmother because she brushed over it very lightly, and I know there's more to it than that. So, Rushka, please tell us your mother's name. My mum was called Teen, T-I-N-A. Um, my, my mother and my grandmother were both, um, they were, and so was my father, actually, but they were Dutch, and um, they immigrated to... My, my parents immigrated, and so did actually my grandmother soon after, New Zealand, which is where I was born, so I actually grew up in New Zealand. But um, my parents were—it was like the house was still Holland. I mean, we spoke Dutch, we ate Dutch food. Um, my father even went to work in clogs, um, which was interesting, and to say the least, in a sort of fairly working-class New Zealand neighbourhood for your father to go to work in clogs. Um, but yeah, they, they, I mean, my, my mother particularly and my grandmother were very resilient people. Um, but I think there was a lot of difficulties for me in terms of becoming my own person, in terms of my mom. She expected me to be her, her, an extreme emotional helpmate. And that, that, 
I, in a sense, I had to set some strict boundaries in order to sort of claim my own voice and my own identity, and and I and also for my daughter when she was born, I realised I needed to sort out quite a few themes that have been going on in my generational family, so that her and I, our relationship would be different. So it wasn't when you were a child or a teen or a young adult, it was more so when you had your daughter that you realized that enough was enough, that things were going to change? Well, actually, it was a slow awakening. I mean, I think, is it the sign of female scream? I think I might, I, I write in, at 16, I suddenly had this realization that something was off. Um... So there was a slow awakening. It was 16 and then slow. But, but particularly it was when after my daughter was born. I really, that was that was my first thought. When I heard the nurse say I had a daughter, I thought, oh, my goodness, I've got, I've got, I've got to sort out my relationship with my mum so that my daughter and I have a very, have a different relationship. So, yeah, so... Um, funny how you give birth to a, your daughter and in a sense through that you also give birth to yourself it's very it's it was it was it's interesting you seem to have found your calling because of your relationship with your mom and you wanted yeah. the future for your daughter to be different yes and i think it was for that because i was actually only um my daughter's in her 30s so it was a while ago um but i was i was in my late 20s when when Olivia was born, and and it was actually very quickly, I sort of, you know, I tried to find, there wasn't a lot out there at the time, and particularly in New Zealand, there was very little. Um, but the more I explored and read, the, I just became, I was bitten by the bug. I, I knew this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. So, um, yeah, so in a way, my mum, even though she she's not around anymore, but she was not happy about my choice of career. Um, she she gave me my career. Was she leaning on you for emotional support, or what exactly was it that created the conflict? Or was it my telling mother, you that you weren't yeah. good enough, or don't well, do this? Well, it was, it, was it was mainly emotional support, yes. Mm. My mother could not listen to anything that I said about myself. It was all, it all had... It was what I, I talk about it to my clients and I teach this in my, in my, um, in the training courses I do. It's, it's about, it's, it's what I call emotional starvation. When, when women are not heard and if they're really, you know, if the, the degree of absolutely not heard, they become really starving, hungry to be heard and that usually lands on the daughter. And so my mom needed men and it usually lands more on the eldest. As her eldest, I had to then, in a sense, emotionally feed her. And just like she had done to her mother. And I think my grandmother had done to her mother as well. Um, so, I, but if I'm feeding my mum, I'm not feeding me. And I couldn't then feed my daughter, emotionally speaking. So I knew that that, that, that dynamic, that generational dynamic had to change with me. I wanted to just go back briefly one what kind of job did your father have that he went to work in his clogs i love that well, i know isn't that amazing well actually he was an he engineer was a, or yeah something? He, he worked we lived in a fairly working class area um and he actually worked at a, what they call a freezing works and we're an like an abattoir 
not that he, where they, you know, they kill sheep and for meat. Um, he wasn't in, you know, on the, he wasn't on the line where they, he couldn't do that. My, my dad was not able to do that, but he, he worked in one of the other departments, um, where they sorted out the facts and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, he, he went to work, which, you know, it was really, you know, as a teenager, you think, oh my goodness, but, you know, um, now it makes a funny story. See, there you go. <laughs> because our listeners don't know, and I, I read a little bit about it, your mom was born in Indonesia, correct? She was born in, yeah, but my mum and my grandparents and my great-grandparents had started with my great-grandfather was a missionary. So it was, all, it was because Indonesia was a Dutch colony. So um, my great-grandfather went over with my great-grandmother, and so therefore my grandmother was born in Indonesia, and so was my mom, which is why in the, during the Second World War they ended up in a Japanese concentration camp, um, which, had a, which did have a profound effect on them. Um, Understandably, but um, yes. So yes, for two they were years, born in right? This was for years that they two, were in. Two, two years, yes. Nice. The last two years of the, before the end of the war. Yeah. I would imagine that that would definitely have an effect on you, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, everything. Absolutely, um, because my mother was ten, about ten, nine, ten when they, you know, at the time, um, and. You know, and there was two other younger children that my was two siblings. So I think that's where it started in terms of my mom just having to look after my grandmother. Mm, that's um, tough. It's 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 quite remarkable how they survived. Quite remarkable. Um, but I think too, the, you know, not enough therapy. You know, there, there was not enough therapy around in, the, in those days. And I think too, which is fairly classic, I think of. They don't talk about it. They just don't talk about it. So we talk um, about a lot of things. My dad was in World yeah. War II, and he rarely, yeah. rarely spoke talk, of what it was like. Yeah. 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 But now yeah. you are here, You're, so your mother gave you a gift. Yeah, yeah, I think she did. And I know she did. Um, whether she meant to or not, it doesn't matter. It she doesn't did. matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Because look how many people you're helping so they don't go down the same path. Yeah, I do. And I do believe that. I do believe I was meant to, she was meant to be my mother. I do. It was, there was an absolute, I don't know if we choose our mothers. I don't know, but I I I feel like Babies choose their mothers. (laughs) Yeah, I do feel I did. So, um, yeah, so it's all good, really. It's all, you know, things, things turn out. And, and we have the power. That's the other thing. We have we have more power than we think sometimes in terms of how what, what we what we do with what we're given. So, and again, that comes back to the resilience. You know how resilient women really are. Yeah, I like that. What we do with what we're given. That's a brilliant yes. statement. Yeah. Oh my and goodness. And we have more. And and we have more power about that than sometimes we always, we recognize. And we're becoming more aware of the power that we have, thanks to people yeah. like yourself. Well, thank you, mm-hmm. and 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 your and and how you you know your podcast in terms of 
spreading the, all these messages, which is, I think is also incredibly powerful. So thank you as well. Well, it's my mom had a wonderful way about her. <laughs> and um, I, I think I've spoken about it in the past that she would write us all these letters in college when you actually read a letter, right? There was usually $20 hidden in wow. there, but you still wanted to read the letter. And I've, I've, I've saved a lot of them because I said to myself, I remember being in my dorm room, dorm room saying, oh, my gosh, because every letter was just so positive and reinforcing and inspirational. I mean, she was just magical. And I said, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to have children, but I don't know if I'm going to be as smart as she is and grounded and aware to spread this wisdom to my children. So I saved these letters and it's just so much fun. So that's why I do this podcast because she inspired me and I want to have these conversations to share with with people that either had the, the blessings that I did or they didn't have it. It's just nice to share the conversation so we can all learn. Well, that is an absolutely fantastic story. So, yeah, you had an incredibly strong, insightful mom, I think, yeah. Way and before I'm so glad her you time. Kept, yeah, that's what I'm hearing, and I'm so glad you kept those, because there is your mom's wisdom, your mom's voice yeah, in those letters. Great. It's pretty great. Wow. So that's why that I is, do this. What a, and that way I'm closer to her. I talk about her all the time, so she's very alive to me, even though she's not present. I'm looking mm-hmm. at her photograph right now, my studio. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I want to thank you. I'm Jackie Tantilla. My guest has been Rushka Hasseldine. And absolutely brilliant work that you're doing and helping mothers and daughters all over the world get things right, because life is too short. I agree. I agree. It's too short to argue and especially when there's so much love that is wanting to be voiced yes. and it's about learning how to to listen and to voice the love and to and to feel the love that's trying to be voiced that is maybe not coming out the way it's meant to you know it that so that it's received in the way that it's actually um you know what the underlying motivations are so so thank you this has been absolute joy thank you so much I would like to spell Rushka's name for my listeners, just so you have it if they want to do some research. R-O-S-S-A-M-J-K-E. Hasseldine is H-A-S-S as in Sam, E-L-D-I-N-E. Rushka Hasseldine, thank you so much for joining me on Should Have Listened to My Mother. Thank you. 